0: Hello everybody and welcome to Lead a Horse to Water, the equine training and behaviour podcast. I'm Trudy Dempsey, your host. to remind you before we get on with the podcast that you can join me on my iaabc course starting on the 28th of july or just after you can sign up usually a few days after and that is a four week course looking at the pain and discomfort ethogram how we can detect pain how we can look at horses with behavioral problems that are perceived as naughtiness or whatever and how they can be underlying factors such as pain or discomfort. It's awesome, there's a brilliant amount of information in the ethergram which is it's something that we can use on the course and it's the first one ran earlier this year and I think we all got an awful lot out of it me included so do come and join me on that one later in the year 10th of September I have got my understand horses improve your positive reinforcement training coming up and of course we're offering a place on that with uh, for a scholarship so do have a look on social media for the posts about that or contact me directly so that would be one scholarship place Uh, i think that closes uh, sometime in august but do check social media for that it's a great online course and this time we're having auditors as well so if the price is just a little too much for you right now but you want to learn come along you get to see all the information you get to see all the feedback videos as well as watching the lectures and yeah you can see other people's feedback and apply it to yourself and maybe decide if it's a course you'd like to do with your horse in the future so do join me for one of those and of course in september i'm going to be at uh, hazel heaton's wonderful place nine acres in norfolk where we're going to have a day looking at uh, a sunday it's the 24th, might be the 25th of September and we're going to be looking beyond clicker training in terms of how we can improve behaviour around husbandry. So do join me for that, it's very limited numbers and there's only a couple of places left on that. Okay, on with the podcast. Hello everybody, I've got Susan. Foster back on the podcast with me. Everybody likes Sue's ones, we've we'll probably have to put the adult content warning on this one because some of the F words might creep through. Uh, hi, Sue's. Good to see you again. Hello, nice to see
1: you. It's been a while.
0: Yeah, it has. It has. Susie's been busy and it's been hot and we haven't seen each other since Conquest at um, sort of mid-June. So yeah. um, And that was great fun. And that really, that's what we want to talk to you a little bit about today. We want to dig back into a couple of clinics that we've had or workshops over the uh, late spring, early summer. We had one in uh, May at Hazel Heaton's Place in Norfolk, which, yeah, definitely is north of Susie. Um, but that but to get that joke you'll have to uh, listen to the podcast or go back and find it Um, and yeah it was really interesting because we did the first day with professionals wasn't it and we had um, some charity uh, trainers behaviorists there we had um, um, vets we had trainers we had trainee behaviorists so it was really great and we also had our our own amazing Justine Harrison with us, uh, which was lovely. And she gave us a lunchtime talk on Lima in the middle of the day. And we also had, which was rather a treat for all the girls, especially the younger girls. uh, We had our wonderful Gabriel with us, didn't we?
1: We did, we did. We were very lucky to have him yeah and uh, yeah bless him he
0: copes so well with all the female um i would say attention it wasn't attention in a bad way we were gently pulling his leg about being just about the only guy in clicker training which isn't entirely true but you know he's a vet um from brazil and he's got super skilled he's really patient and listens and takes on stuff you tell him and runs with it which was just fantastic to see um i think it brings and I'd I'd love to remind me to talk about it before we finish when when we were leaving out at the end of the sessions and the first day second day when Gabriel took Dan out I thought that was quite an interesting one and brings up several questions uh, but one thing I did want to talk about is that both in the professional and in the um, general public you know the, the trainer regular trainer people's one over the Saturday and Sunday that we work in pairs obviously there were people auditing as well who could move around the groups. but we generally work with people in pairs and I think sometimes when people first hear that they might be a bit shocked but I think it brings benefits because if you've got two very different people from different backgrounds it starts to make you think a little bit about your skills and what you can bring to it and I think it ups the ante a lot for you in, in terms of what you can learn on those days Um, but for some of them it was easy like the the two Red Wings lovely trainers both of them really nice they already had a pattern of how to work as a team and it really showed I I don't know how much time you spent with them Suze they were um, with the donkeys weren't they did you see them training
1: yeah yeah I did a little bit with them yeah Yeah. and I I, obviously knew each other well and they got a really good bit of teamwork going on it was really nice yeah and I think that is massive and for a lot of people
0: who are working on their own day in day out I see this on the internet a lot you know in groups people are saying oh I'm the only clicker trainer in wherever and it feels really lonely but I think training in pairs is is really good I mean like you and I have had a thing with the dogs haven't been doing much lately but it doesn't mean I'm not training anymore I'm still training but um we we've had a little group on Facebook with just you and I and we'll share dog training and it kind of keeps you going a little bit and I do wonder if we couldn't set more things like that up to help people, because I think it must be really quite lonely so that when you come to a, an event that's a real live event like that, it might be a bit daunting to suddenly find yourself working with somebody else. Um, but I think it's a, a really good one. Um, I'm trying to think who Gabriel worked with on the... Oh, he worked with Justine. Didn't he? Justine, yeah. Yeah. And um, so that was really nice because, again, they already had a bit of a shorthand and they know how each other works because they've trained together online before in terms of uh, Gabriel being on Justine's courses. Um, and I think, again, that made that partnership work really well. But I think we, we also had, um, with Harley, we had a vet and a trainer. And I think that worked really well as well. I think it was just, uh, they bounced ideas off each other. Somebody has a strength maybe in planning, because um, yeah, that would be you and me. I'll write the plan and you do the training. It, it, works, <laughs> it works a lot more. I do, more I'm told. <laughs> well no you don't that's the thing that's what i love about it so yeah i think working in pairs is really really good in fact if i could manage to do bigger teams it would be good i think the trouble is then that people wouldn't get a chance to actually hands-on train but there were two partnerships through, over the weekend one on the professional day with the girls from red wings and one uh, over the weekend where gina was um helping ella and totally unselfishly for majority of the time one trained and the other observed and gave feedback themselves which is so awesome and such a thing you know we sort of want to be the star of the show but actually the animal learning should be the star of the show so yeah anybody out there that's on their own training see if you can't get a friend or you know somebody even online to, to share your training with because it will absolutely help you just kicks you on and gets you going out there to do some training um, i think i love the quote of that weekend that stuck in my my head as well and this is a little bit you know like what we do all the time that suze does most of the sessions and that is the mechanic and being really super tidy and just to say that the professionals although some of them are super tidy doesn't necessarily mean because you're a professional trainer or a professional in the industry that you're going to be super with your timing in fact um yeah my quote is that well you you probably can say it better I think it went along the lines of get your hands out of that effing bag justine did I say that yes
1: you did yeah (laughs) yeah surely not I'd never do that
0: yeah you know and that's the other thing when you're in these sessions you're nervous because people are watching you mm. and you, so your brain does weird things and yeah, i'm sure justine wouldn't have her hand anywhere near the bag so that you wouldn't have to tell her not to um, but yeah it it happened. so and and you see it a lot when when you're moving around groups as i do i move around the partner training partnerships and you see people dipping their hand in and it's super important guys that you try not to because it it is it breaks everything, it really literally breaks everything. Um, So one of the things that we trained in Norfolk was the hoops, we brought little hula hoops, and for the professionals we gave them a scenario, kind of, this pony has, and it it very much took into account the real life horse that they were going to be training, but it was a made up scenario to help them. And one of them that we did was, yeah you know, this horse or this donkey has got problems with haltering and um, you know train them to put their nose through a hula hoop and how that might be done. And I thought that was fantastic because I think I left you alone for about ten minutes and off to do some stuff, and I came back and you'd already got them thinking around that that problem. And first of all, everyone's just offering the the hula hoop and the donkeys getting their nose quite near it but you came up with a a great idea as well, didn't you? Do you want to tell us about the the hand targeting through the hula hoop to get them to line up into it kind of thing? So you're setting up the environment that it happens.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we already knew the donkeys had the behavior of at hand target. Um, So we might, we use that the other side of the hoop. Well, I think we started without the hoop and then we introduced the hoop. So it's your favorite errorless learning. We want, we want to use something that the horse donkey whatever already knows and then make it that the animal is going to succeed we want to make success nearly as um you know 100 percent likely to happen as possible that's not always possible obviously but use what we've got already rather than just relying on the fact that the donkey might be interested in the hula hoop because it might be but they have a history of targeting so I think we did find that both donkeys were quite happy to nose target the hula hoop but couldn't work out about putting the nose in the gap in the middle of the hula hoop yeah
0: that's brilliant and I think the thing is as well when you write a shaping plan for that you're not you're thinking oh target some air in the middle of the hula hoop but Mm. I mean a donkey doesn't see that So there's a lot that they're having to think about in terms of the context so they're going to do what they as you say what their reinforcement history tells them which is to actually touch the rim of the hula hoop so it was lovely to see people thinking out of the box a little bit like that but also was what i love is i think it was anna uh was in the other donkey group doing it but they didn't just immediately copy and do, oh yeah, we'll do that. They carried on because their donkey was less inclined to t- actually touch the hoop. So they carried on shaping the hoop, moving the hoop about so that he re- they really got that it was about the hoop. Um, so yeah, uh, the other thing, don't copy what you see other people doing unless it really is relevant to your learner and your training at that time.
1: I think in um, that scenario as well with the donkey, well, you know, at a workshop, they don't know the learners, so the, the handlers don't know the donkeys or the horses. So you kind of got to work out where your starting point is before you even think about bringing the hoop out. What yeah. can a donkey do already? Yeah, absolutely. That's, isn't
0: it? That's on the, the list of, you know, when you start thinking about training, what, what can your learner do already? And if, if they're not yours, if you're going, especially if you're a, a trainer or a behaviorist going to see a client, you know, it's very easy to think, oh, I'm just going to go in and do a bit of targeting or some clicker training, but actually that course might do that behavior already, and you could just save yourself a lot of time by using that and just putting a proper cue on it rather than the one that, that you know probably exists already, which will be context-based, environment-based. Um, I think the other thing that I really just wanted was a couple of things on Norfolk that I wanted to hit on. One was our lovely Drea, who I know listens to the podcast. So shout out to Drea and thank you massively for all the support you give us, uh, at our, our dues. And to her friend Alice, who came along as well, who picked it up so well. I hope she's still doing it because she's definitely um, like Drea and natural. And it was interesting because at one point the girls were getting frustrated, you know, that they were getting their donkey to stand in the hula hoop. And I remember Joey said to me, words to the effect of, I'm not going to, I don't remember the exact quote, but, you know, he knows what we want him to do. He's just sort of slow and he doesn't really want to do it. And it became quite obvious looking at him that he hadn't got a clue what they wanted him to do. And it certainly wasn't that he knew what to do, but wasn't doing it. He didn't actually understand the behaviour. So with a few screws, um, Hazel managed to concoct a platform for them to stand on well as soon as it became obvious because the surface was raised it was different the donkey was there with Alice you know jumping on almost getting on that um, hoof target couldn't wait to do it we didn't actually in the weekend get to finish that behavior and get them standing into a hoop so you know that I would from that point onwards I would start to maybe put the hoop on to the the Raise platform and then gradually start to, you know, change things around so that wherever he went, it was still all about the hoop. So, if if you're listening, Dre, that's where we would have gone with that one. Um, And it was just great to see that kind of light bulb moment for them that are actually, if the donkey doesn't, if you can't spell it out again, it's errorless. If you can't spell it out for the donkey, and and even though you know what you want them to know, it doesn't necessarily mean that they know what you want. Uh, want them to know and and therefore can't actually cue it um yeah just thinking about on the second day when um Gabriel was then working with Anna and we led Stan down to the field (laughs) and it was really interesting we know that Stan will do a wander so it's really nice if you can bring the horses in and turn them out if you've been training with them all day because it tells you such a lot about the actual horse Uh, but there was Gabriel you know really willing stan to keep going but stan was like there's some grass and i'm gonna go and eat it and then he took him up the hill a little bit and you know yeah quite a bit up the hill there's a hill you had home. a giggle at
1: gabriel's expense yeah. At that point. yeah
0: which was a bit tough because you know when you're with a horse that you don't know and i think this also probably follows on although we talk about the conquest a little bit separately um you know you had a similar situation at conquest where you're taking the learners all back out to the field and they're like well i've actually enjoyed where i am and i'd rather go here than there and you're left with well what do i do i'm a positive reinforcement trainer do i you know start now using negative reinforcement do i give it a boot up the bum do i start flicking my rope at it what do i do and i think it was interesting on day one when Stan was led down the lovely amy who is um an intelligent horse trainer, I believe. Yes. Um, she had none of that because Dan went to go down. I think he got his lips around the edge of a blade of grass and she got him straight up with a definite negative reinforcement. It was, you know, before he could even get his mouth around a blade of grass, it was up and you're done. And, you know, it's difficult because I want to say you can't do any of those things until your horse is beautifully trained with positive reinforcement but we know that's not real life is it you know you have to use sometimes with your own horse's negative reinforcement i use negative reinforcement with my dogs i mean you know so i i don't want people to think it's like the bloody emperor's new clothes that you know what we do looks like magic but really when you look at it properly it's not when you unpeel it he's actually you know got no clothes on at all um, and i think we we need to be fair to people to know that this happens it happens that's the professionals day that's a vet who's done quite a lot of handling and understands positive reinforcement um and that horse will try it it'll try it with anyone so what do we think do, is it okay to use a bit of negative reinforcement um what, you know where do we stand on that well
1: i think it's honestly honestly so I'll be totally honest I'm this is as honest as I'm going to get one of my horses horrible Harry probably all seen him he's not horrible he is um he's lovely (laughs) but when I in in the winter at the moment it's fine because they're in the summer fields everything's manageable without having to put head collar on him or anything until we have to go into the stable for trimming and stuff but he they lives out but in the winter, when they had to come in on a rainy day and it's windy and he's got PSSM, so he does get affected by the weather and he is dangerous and will rear up at the end of the lunge line. So I have used a hot rope halter on him. There, I've said it. You can edit that out if you want to, Trudy. No, no, I would not edit it out. because <laughs> I honestly want people to
0: understand There's, there is no ivory tower. You know, people will tell you they do this a certain way. But real life isn't like that, you know? Real life in Devon, North Devon, people have probably seen our training videos. You know, it's muddy and it's windy and the horses have got the wind up their bums. And if, if they're like Harry and want to come in to get nice and warm, it, you know, it, he's gonna be in a hurry.
1: And you and it's have to- not, I think exactly, that's what I wanted to go along with. At the end of the day, our safety has to come first before any idealistic training. So yes. obviously, I don't want to. I'm going to train. I'm not. That's not going to be my training. I don't consider using a rope halter and a lunge line when he's re- rearing up because of the weather. I don't see that training. I see that getting for me to be in as safe a way as possible. Yeah, I'm His not manager. going to train using that, but I'm going to use it to keep me safe and to minimise damage on the way yeah. in from the field.
0: Yeah, and to everyone that's shouting well, you could put a track and you could lead him up the track and that would make, Suze has tried all that. We've done an awful lot of that. You know, I've given you support online with that. And it's still really, really hard for him. He does just struggle and it is still dangerous um, and it isn't your land and you're not going to be able to put in a solid enough fence for it to be safe. So, you know, so when you've got Stan and Gabriel on the road and you're like, so we really should have had it was our fault we didn't have a conversation beforehand and say what will you do if he goes down because it was like that mo- the moment was lost because the time to manage it is actually before it happens but we didn't so cut a very very long story short we did get him up with some food and tempting him down off the hill and then the next night i wasn't there but i believe either you or Justine were yeah. they nailed and it the next night they just basically targeted through when necessary didn't they yeah, yeah. absolutely nailed it yeah but so so when you're ready day, for it it's a lot easier
1: yeah and but the first day you didn't know until it happened so they made a plan for the second day and the second day was a great success
0: yeah so don't beat yourselves up that it's you know, a difficult one, and you can't do anything about it. But I'm not going to tell anyone, I'm going to keep that inside of me, because I've become a positive reinforcement trainer. And I didn't say to anybody that actually, I have used some you know, negative reinforcement or some punishment, obviously, we could look at that side of it, because often it is um, positive punishment that we're using in the moment to save ourselves. But you know, get, get off that for, you know, for me, and sort your situation out and take it as information for the next time and i guess that's the other thing at conquest they've got into a little bit of a a rut and i know talking to kate she's wonderful kate um, that this has happened they don't want to use any pressure so it can they can wait around for ages for a horse to do something um but if it pulls to go to grass or won't move at all then they will get a bowl of food and use the food to lure the horse forward and the trouble with that is then the horse isn't learning at all and if you can't train and they often don't have time to train and lots of people train those horses they find it really really hard so you know it just highlights the fact yes you do need to do your training but your management practices are huge you know the least walking you can do on the lead with a horse that doesn't like leading the better it's going to build your relationship in a better way so you only do the good stuff training and then when you're doing your management turning out to the field but also you know transport in dogs we use transport a lot if you need to get from A to B. I use it all the time because you have another dog's coming. I transport her past that dog. We'll do a podcast on this at some point, but I use that cue I was talking about now where I talk, 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 talk. And she knows I've got food. And at the end of me, when I finish talking, I'll give her some food. And it works the treat. But effectively, it's just transport. It's just getting from A to B. I'm not actually training her. I'm not changing her opinion about the dog that's passing. None of that, not doing any of that. I'm just you know, managing the situation, which is much better for both of us. I don't have to have a breakdown and she doesn't get frustrated with another dog sniffing her bum. So yeah, management is is super important, I think. And um, just finally, before we leave um, Norfolk, we trained sheep and goats. That was we great fun. It was. We, we did was at fun. the end of... At the pro day we got the um both sets, the sheep and the goats, and they were very close to each other. What did you think about that setup? It was tricky, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy at one point. I was, I think, I had I can't remember if it was two sheep or two goats. I think I had the two sheep at one point, and um, I was, and was it the sheep that bit you or the goat? I think it was the sheep that were a bit not bite you, but they were a little bit um scratchy with their teeth. Yeah. um I was trying to do two at the time to, as everyone was getting organized and it was a little bit of a cluster
0: yeah but
1: um, once we got them in a better you know we had them separated and that did work a lot better
0: it did work um, a lot better but even then we we ended up with them in separate pens but next to each other yeah. Um, yeah. Hazel created that. and this was a couple of people were left over from the professional day and were just watching and um we were just playing with it a bit and, and it was fun, but it did make you realise when you've got a different sort of learner that you have to be so aware of how they're all learning. because the one that I was working with, if I didn't keep my rate of reinforcement so high, he would just try and get in on next doors. So you, you have got not a second to spare. And that's what I love about these things is getting people to try with different learners because actually we think horses you don't have any time but compared to dogs but
1: oh my goodness there's no time but I think what I think um when we did them the next day and they were separate there was a lot more time yeah yeah and I find that if I've got you know if I'm training my horses I won't train them next to each other even though with a fence in between because they're more likely to get pissy and the yeah. same with my dogs if I if I'm got all all six of my dogs and I'm teaching them a duration stay or something yeah. if they're too close together a couple of them not all of them but a couple of them will get sharky and you will end up getting a bit nipped yeah but it's hard If they're it's hard to... separate then it's fine so I think it's, it's again yeah. it's just information and working out what well, the best way to set up the environment for the yeah. individuals
0: yeah definitely I think that as well I mean Suze was channeling her inner Ken Ramirez on that one and you chose to do a feed 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 and you know just very a tiny amount dial it down as as they were getting plenty of food in them Um, and I went just so we could show different methods I went for targeting with which actually gave although you know normally I'm not a targeter particularly but in that case it's never going to matter that that goat gets oh that's the one thing we left the sheep behind didn't we we got rid of the sheep sheep. (laughs) not got rid of we just left them in the stable didn't eat
1: them or anything
0: No, no, no definitely not um and worked with the goats and they were in a corner each of a square pen big square pen so it was really easy to be very individual and then I didn't get the same goat that I'd worked with the day before but that didn't matter using a target and breaking it down really really helped Um, build some time so I think a combination of the feed feed and then you know maybe giving them you know something to let them know that actually you can give me a behavior and get the food and that would help slow it down a lot and a few people had to go and I think they were amazed at literally how quick you had to be you don't get a second you literally, as you take the target off the person that's been training the goat already, you literally have to offer it again and start feeding. There's nothing, absolutely no gaps at all. But it was really interesting. And we'd, we'd like to go and do some more uh, multi-species stuff at Hazel's, wouldn't we, next year maybe? Yeah, definitely. She's growing her animal band as we speak, I'm sure. Goodness knows what she'll have next. Um, so yeah, that, I found that really interesting. And also found when we went to Conquest, we did hens. Now, it was a little bit more difficult at the Conquest Centre because uh, we didn't get to play with them the day before or anything, um, which was tricky because poor old Kate was really poorly and she was going to set all that up and organise that for me, but she didn't get a chance to. So we ended up in, just to say, I mean the facilities at Hazel's are wondrous and it's great to be able to go and do this in places, but Conquest, that centre, is just amazing and shout out to anyone who wants to get involved and volunteer it's a super place to go and lovely staff members and just brilliant facilities uh, so we were in a, a, a yurt with the with the hens and first of all the people that have done training with the hens before just sort of chucked three or four in at the same time and we were very quickly no no <laughs> this <laughs> is not going to work you have to have a hen um, and then you have to build the reinforcement routine so I think it was eye-opening in that you need to set up really well to do these things chickens are brilliant learners uh, but there was just quite a lot going on in it in that enclosed environment and the other hens being around and that's so yeah a bit like with the goats and sheep I think the more we do it the better we'll get at setting those environments up and we'll be able to give centers you know a list of things that they need to do with the birds or or the animals beforehand um, but they seem to really enjoy it, all of the animals so that well who wouldn't they're just getting lots of food aren't they uh so at the conquest center just to you know finish off talking about the the training we've done recently it was all about reinforcement routines and mechanics of course sus does a great mechanics little um interactive section don't you so everybody gets to really have a, a warm-up together and what i found was interesting tell us a little bit remind us about the practicing the click on the bouncy ball and then using tongue click or a word that was, I found that quite interesting
1: yeah so we did um we bounced a ball and everyone had to click at certain points in the trajectory is that the word of it the is ball. that's impressive yeah, for yeah. Big word when it's so hot um, So we started, everyone had a clicker and they were clicking say, let's say at the top of the bounce when the ball got to the highest point, everyone was clicking. And then we decided to see if there was a difference between a click, a tongue click and a word, a marker word. Um, And I think we decided there wasn't much in it. Although I would say that the clicker was the most distinct sound, um, but the others, I think the timing, there wasn't much difference in it.
0: No, I think right at the beginning of everything you do, so if you you will say, oh, bounce, uh, catch it on its highest bounce and then on its mid bounce or on the second bounce or whatever, and people are having to get their ear, eye, tongue ready, thumb ready to click, and that the first few, you can hear it click, 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 click. And then after about three or four repetitions, everyone, to my capacity to to hear any difference, sounded like they were bang on it together. But I agree. I think the only difference with the word was that it was less distinct and also the conflict. But if you think normally you're training in an environment where there's not a lot going on, hopefully, then that would probably, you know, a click would be absolutely fine. It's just a preference thing, but they're they're always interesting. And they're not scientific studies, obviously, Um, but it's just really interesting to see with a group of people and they're great icebreakers. So if any of you are trying to get your friends interested in this, they're they're great fun things to do. Um, And yeah, we do lots of that and breaking down, either sitting in a chair, did we do picking up a mug this time? No, we, what
1: we, did did. See, we did get an
0: out of a chair. Ah, that was, yeah, but didn't we do something, what, oh, was it picking up a cup of coffee cup in
1: Norfolk then? I don't know, my brain Yeah, gone. we picked up a cup in Norfolk and we got out yeah. of a chair. Yeah. It so was exactly like true. we haven't been doing much at all, getting out of chairs and drinking, coffee, really. <laughs> there
0: was a lot of coffee drunk, Yeah. And left, I leave it around all the time. Uh, so yeah, though, so we get into the mechanics and then everybody, everybody on that first Saturday at Conquest was just doing re- reinforcement loops. And it might seem a bit dull and people are like, oh, is that all I'm going to do? But honestly, it's where, where the work needs to go, isn't
1: it? Yeah, absolutely. And something yeah. I don't think we think about so much with horses. No. Definitely. Compared to the dogs and cats. Yeah. Well, maybe well I
0: have a, a great question that we'll finish on this um, from Julia. Um, but, yeah, I think it is massively misunderstood or ignored. And I think that also will lead us into the other question that I got nicely as well. Uh, so we, that Saturday evening, we were just kind of assessing people and how good they were with their skills at the mechanics. And then some people moved on and some people just kept fiddling with the reinforcement routine, all was equally valid. So, you know, never think because you've been asked to concentrate on your reinforcement loop that you aren't uh, doing really well. It might just be that that learner needs that. I mean, the horses were all similar, actually, weren't they, in where they were. It wasn't, there wasn't masses of differences between them. I think it was more of a, a difference between the trainers. Uh, and Gabriel joined us again, and Sue's bored him. No, no, Sue's entertained
1: him. Bored him? Evening. Bored yeah. him? <laughs> oh, I boarded him. Boarded I him. Board yeah. and train. We did board and train. Yeah, not
0: boring at all. That's definitely not one. No, she she did her dog training to show him, and he was. know cat training. So He, he had a go at all, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he had the full-on experience, but also came to Conquest, which was lovely. Uh, and he worked with Katie, who was great fun as well. And again... Just that, could you do you want to explain? Can you remember what you did? Because I saw I hopped on the end of that where you had um, the reinforcer moving, the feeder moving, or the, the two sound like they're the same thing, but sometimes we break it so one clicks and one feeds, uh, just to make the process really clear. But you had Katie and uh, Gabriel really sort of moving things around, didn't you?
1: Yeah, so we had we just we found that the pony that they were working with whose name I'm really sorry I can't remember it was it's very Josh, it's Josh, Josh, isn't it? Isn't it? lovely little pony little cob um, and Josh we quite quickly worked out that Josh went where the food bag was um, and Josh would move only if there was food not even in the bag in their trainer's hand so he was following the food so we worked really hard oh we did I stood there and watched they worked really hard um, at taking the behaviour away from the food and taking the food away from the person doing the training, so it, the food arrived because the behaviour happened. Yeah. Uh, to start with, with the behaviour was just stand still. So we taught the reinforcement loop that when he's standing still, he got a click, and then the food arrived from whoever wasn't clicking. And the food was in the middle or behind them, I can't quite remember, on the floor so that no one was wearing food. Yeah. So the, the feeder, when they heard, so the feeder had a cue, the click, the cue for the f- feeder was the click that t- triggered them to go and pick up food. And then they, they went and gave the horse, Josh, his food. So we separated the food from the click from the people so it became very much about the behavior of whatever we were working yeah. on. to start with it was just standing still
0: yeah but it looked really good so you know there were times when you know Katie would be moving about um yeah so he could he didn't see the human moving as any trigger for doing anything and I think that's the hard bit you know it's very easy to stand still and click and people do like maybe 10 clicks click and reinforce click and reinforce them 10 times and they think oh my, my horse knows what the click and the food means i i mean i i'd love to know some science on that real science i don't mean like you know done the way some poor science is done you know it, it really depends on the trainer and how well it's done but with a really good trainer i'd love to see how long it takes and with a poor trainer if it ever happens or whether it's always just that kind of confusion for the horse because it's what we find everywhere we go it's all about the horse being so confused and at both centers both hazels and the conquest at nine acres sorry i shouldn't keep calling it hazels uh that it's really because often there's kids been training with the 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 learners and that then just not as tidy of course they're not you know but some adults are not either so yeah so massive thing that we always concentrate on that reinforcement loop first and some really, really awesome work over the weekend. Uh, I think, well, first of all, to say massive thank you to both Hazel and to Kate and to Jeff, the manager, and to Nikki, who helped us on the day at Conquest. You know, they, it, without the centres, there's just so few of them to do it, it, it would be impossible. So thank you. Uh, but also, just to bring in questions here, I've had two questions uh, for this which times podcast uh, one from Julia and Julia is a very astute on it trainer uh, she's very much into the geeky side of how it all works and, and she wanted to know um, you know what we thought about the crossover between dog training she's been doing a bit of dog training recently quite a lot I think uh, with her dog a young dog and the crossover between that and things like uh, location specific markers what well, first of all we would talk about what a location specific marker is but how she could use that with her sensitive boy and you know i think it's a, it's a tricky one first of all a location specific marker when we're talking about the reinforcement loop um, we are talking about information for the learner whether that's a dog a cat a horse and what we give in that loop of Reinforcement is information about how the reinforcement will be delivered, and normally people click and feed, click and feed, click, feed to the mouth. Sometimes people will click and feed to a bucket. Um, some people will click while the horse is still walking; will feed it while it's walk, they're walking. Other people like the horse to stop. That will be more information about it. But that's your location-specific marker. I, I'm not a fan of that title. I tend to think in reinforcement loops and thinking or reinforcement routines really and having you know, a good reinforcement routine. Now, I know we're quite different on this with our dogs because you tend to stick to a clip for all of your reinforcement loops and it's the behavior, your behavior after the clip that tells the dog the information it needs to know about how to get the food. And yep. interestingly, that happened also when I was watching, I'm going to have to look up her name, I think she's a Scandinavian trainer, beautiful trainer, uh, I know it's coming to me, Peterson, oh what's her first name, can't remember, I'll try and think, um, and she use, oh, only uses a click.
1: Oh, I think I watched, she did her thing on Lemonade. Yeah. I, I watched that. Petia, yes, yes, yeah, she's a fantastic
0: trainer, yeah. yeah, and super, super calm trainer. And she says that after two, maybe two repetitions of the reinforcement routine, the dog will know how the food's coming. So she doesn't feel she needs to have specific markers. But if you then look at somebody like uh Hannah Branigan, um, Nicole Weebush, not sure whether I'm saying that right, Nicole. Sorry if I'm not. Um, but they are super, super trainers, but doing it differently. Again, what they are using specific markers that tell the dog the information. So instead of a click, it's a different mark that tells them. Um, So uh, I think I use some similar ones because I've obviously picked that up from training with different people. And I use a good for straight to the mouth and I use a click for throwing food. I've got other ones as well, but yeah. You but you
1: don't do you Susan? What what do you see any benefits either way? And I do I, I do and I don't. I would use good for foods coming to your mouth. Um I'm just thinking more now towards the click is for if I'm working on precision um or if I'm shaping a new behaviour. But I would I'm I, I would say I click less now than I ever have done. I use a clicker less now. I quite often just chuck food at them. Often I'm, I am working with more than one dog. Um, So the click, unless it's very specifically, I've got dogs waiting on the sidelines and one I'm training, that's fine. I can use a clicker then. Um, But if I'm kind of training two or three dogs at a time, I'm not going to use a clicker. Then I would just use my hand going towards the dog or their name. Often their name is a marker. i'm working multiple dogs the thing
0: is that they will find a marker whether you offer one whether you choose to have one and the reason we do all the good mechanic stuff is so that your marker is your marker rather than if you have your hand over the bag your hand going into the bag becomes the marker rather than whatever whether you're using a click and i think people at the beginning find that really hard to get to grips with i I personally, with horses, am more like you are with the dogs. So I would normally use my click and then follow it with information. So if I click and walk towards somewhere and I carry on walking, I'll drop food in a bucket or drop food on the floor. So my, dog, my horse then sees the fact that, oh, I got it right. So the moment was marked. But I'm not going to do that on day one. I'm not going to click and walk for 10 meters and throw food on the floor because I'm going to have a really antsy, pissed off horse. I'm going to build that really carefully. So it might be click and take, you know, lean down and put the food on the floor and build that loop. And I think that's the thing that people just don't do. Uh, Lots of people will tell you they've got markers that aren't markers. And when you take that marker off them, the, the dog or horse carries on
1: behaving in exactly the same way and we I did think have- they're very good at picking up I do a lot like you were saying when I click what I do after and that's for dogs and horses and the cats what I do after they you know I might move my hand as though I'm going to toss the treat they very quickly work out am I going to toss the treat am I going to bring it to them am I going to draw them towards me with it with the more so with the dogs obviously but with the horses they quickly work out if you click and your legs move they need to go where that to, to the it. next bucket yeah. absolutely yeah. you wouldn't put the bucket at the other end of the field to start with you put the bucket right in front of the horse to start with
0: yeah I think for me as well it's what do you want the behavior that follows to look like so for instance with the dogs if I'm using a click, it's because I want oh, loads of energy and buzz in the following in all of this, that bit of the training I'm doing because I rarely use a clicker. So maybe in heel work when I'm trying to get really you know on it and much more enthusiasm, I might use a click because that puts a lot more movement into it. And I'm going to get her really sort of almost bouncing, ready to go. I don't want a big horse bouncing ready to go not, Unless, <laughs> well maybe not a harry anyway you know, <laughs> there are some of course you know years ago with shapiro that he's really light and once he learned to balance himself in his own space i don't have any problem with him being you know up and more energetic you know, that, that's how you get canter transitions you know and, and halt to canter you're not going to get that from a, a horse that's dead flat and got no enthusiasm for it but i do think that you need not to just say, I'm and this isn't aimed at Julia because she's the most thoughtful trainer, uh, but just in general, if you're listening to this, don't think, oh, I'm just going to go and teach a location-specific marker because I fancy it. Think about why you want to do it. So um, I think Julia said her foyer is really sensitive. So for me, it's anchoring that reinforcement routine, making it so strong. So in that case, I might actually give it a different marker so that he really knows he's not, if he's super sensitive when she clicks and then he doesn't ex- get what he expects, it might be more stressful for him and it might be more, um, you know, worrying and him become upset by the whole process. And that's not what you want, obviously, with your learner. So I think it's, you know, we often say it depends, but it does depend. It really depends on your learner. And I think if your learner is really sensitive and like shadows, I mean, Shadow is super sensitive. If you get it wrong and he knows that he's got it wrong, it's hard, and it's hard not to show that. I mean, that's another perfect place, isn't it? Oh, we're all perfect. None of us show our feelings. But of course you do. And the training goes wrong and you show your feelings and your animal goes, oh, dear, no. what you know." So I think, yeah, if the horse is sensitive, Julia, personally, I might separate out. But I'd like to think if he's sensitive, are you wanting to train him in a relaxed, calm way in which case that would be my choice I wouldn't be going oh let's go to the box get the sweeties like I might with a dog I'm going to be how slow can we walk over to this bucket and drop the food in it or you know can I feed on the floor because it's going to lower his head and get him interested in something for a minute or is that going to terrify him because he's got his head down and if something moves he's going to go oh my god so it's really thinking about your learner before you decide which location specific marker you want to use. So certainly if anyone wants to join us on coffee, ko-fi forward slash leader horse to water, we, we can have conversations that go into that a little bit uh, more deeply, but I think it's a shame we don't do more of it with horses.
1: Yeah, I think I, the other thing I wanted to just mention before you move on, Judy, and um, we found this with Josh going back to the Conquest Centre, That we were clicking and putting the food in the bucket, and then they wanted to feed to mouth. Now, from past experience of nearly losing fingers with Harry, if I click and put food in bucket, and then I click and put food to hand, then I'm going to lose a finger. So I think that's another important. If the horse doesn't know what's coming next, so if you're going to go click bucket, click bucket, click bucket, that's fine. But I would then say don't go click hand, click hand, click hand, because the horse doesn't, you know, you'll mix. Things. So maybe that's where you could use a different marker, so the yep. horse knows that you can, yes
0: means you bucket, click, click a means different marker. Or you could set up your routine to be kind of like sometimes I'll have a few pieces of food in my hand, so rather than a few in the bucket, I pick it up and hold my hand up, and as and when I get to the horse, make it clear that I've got food in one hand. I'm going to take it out with the other, and therefore it's coming to your yeah. mouth. Or you could do a fist turn you know that they the yeah. sort of say food eating from the fist but well, I think it's really really yeah important that's that's great and that would be really difficult if Julia's boy is sensitive because yeah. he's gonna feel I'm it, it comes back to the errorless learning if your horse doesn't know what to expect then it's a bit of a shock to begin with but after three or four repetitions it knows and then you change it it's like we have the discussion regularly about know whether you have several different values of reinforcer in your bag you know personally i don't but you know I, i understand why people do this idea of jackpots and stuff which again is a whole other we'll have a podcast on that at some point um so yeah i think it's a really interesting one julia and i think the difference for me between dogs and horses is well there are a lot of differences but first of all we spend such a lot of time with our dogs don't we Mm -hmm. sadly too much
1: sometimes (laughs) (laughs)
0: and you know i might do a tiny tiny bit of training when i'm walking the dog i might do a tiny bit getting in and out of the car which might just be practicing a weight cue you know so there's loads of stuff i'm going to be doing with my dog um all the time but people don't do that with their horses and i think it that's part of the problem is that Mm -hmm. they They go and they're so geared up for their training that the trainer themselves is already kind of like desperate for it to happen. They've got not a great plan and they don't really know where that behaviour is going to go in the future, which I think is really difficult for, for the horse and for the trainer, really difficult. So that's a big difference for me, the amount of time that you spend with your learner. And so you have to sneak it in with your horse training. You have to do it, you know, like before you're tacking up or little tiny bits here and there, tiny bits will make a big difference. I also think, and I really wish people would do this, just practice that blinking reinforcement routine. Why have people got a problem with keep doing it? And, you know, like at the beginning of a session, this is the reinforcement routine. Here you go. This is the one we're going to do. And now we're going to change that reinforcement routine. Here's the new one. And we're going to do the both. Here's a bit of that one and here's a bit of that one. And just, you know, working, what, feeling it from your horse's perspective. And I think the other one for me with dogs is that we are very accepting of enthusiasm with dogs, but in horses, enthusiasm is often misunderstood and it's frustration. It's having the difference. I have food on me all the time, every everywhere I go, all the time with my dogs. And they don't sit there looking at me. Oh, how am I going to get that food out of a pocket? They know the situations that they expect to get food in when I, I start training. And they know not to get worried about it, even though it's in the environment. I mean, I wouldn't put it on the floor, but I'm not at that point. But so that they could just take it or leave it because they would definitely take it at that point. <laughs> But yeah, for me, the, there are those things. And all it comes down to for me is not being too smart. Don't try and outsmart yourself. Try and be simple and clear. And t- if you don't understand it, oh my God, your dogs and your horses and cats are definitely not going to. Mm. So that, that's kind of, you got anything to
1: add on how different horses and dogs are? No, I, I think dogs also, like you say, you live with them, they learn to read you a lot more than horse would so quite often dogs they'll follow your finger if you tell them to you know move over so out the way or whatever that's what dogs do because they've been you know they've been living with us in the family for however many thousands of years whereas horses are more recently domesticated and also don't live in the household they don't have that same closeness is that the word yeah no I agree I think that's really yeah you know, that's not to say they don't enjoy the training and they want, you know, they're perfectly, you know, they want to be with you. I'm not denying that at all, but they are they have a different you know, lifestyle they want to be out in a field eating grass, whereas dogs want to be in the home with you sat on the sofa.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing quickly to mention on that one is that you, it is difficult to do one of the best ways of, of adding reinforcement, which is toys. And, you know, Sherlock's got to the point now where I've started doing uh, quite a bit of toy reinforcement with him and he literally, if he thinks it's toy time, he won't take a a food reinforcer. Mm -hmm. Not interested. Go stick that reinforcer where the sun won't shine. I'm not interested. I want the, the ball or the tugger or whatever to come out so that we can do a game. And yeah, so I think that one's hard with horses. We use a lot of play with dogs, which we don't find easy to do with horses. Yeah. I also, also, I think with with horses, and we're going to definitely do a, a course on this with horses. It's balancing doing a bit of one type of training with a bit of another type of training. So you know, maybe doing some more micro shaping of a husbandry behavior, and then going and doing some movement, so that. The movement doesn't build the horse up to be stroppy and worried about moving all the time. And the um, micro-shaping doesn't get the horse over threshold about the food. So it's just, I think it's just balancing all that together somehow, um, just to to, But simple, go back to the simple bits, And we'll probably talk more about this, Julia, at some point. So if you've got any very specific questions, do shout. Uh, Let's just end very quickly and it will be a quick one. Uh, Somebody asked me, at one of the um weekends if positive reinforcement is done so badly as it seems to be sometimes and i'll be honest i don't see that much that i like on social media i see it done quite poorly by some you know some people some lovely trainers out there as well though some fabulous trainers Um, But if it's done badly, is it ethical? Should we be doing it? Should we be just letting the elite who can do it, do it and show us? And should we wait until they've got really good at showing us how to do it? It's a difficult one, isn't it?
1: That's such a tough question.
0: Yeah, go on, free range, Suze. You can say what you like, because I can chop it off the end.
1: (laughs) Okay, so is it ethical to train a horse for positive reinforcement? when they're shit at it? Is that, that's basically the question. That's, ba- that's basically,
0: yeah. Do we do we let people like on our weekends, you know, are they, this wasn't where the question came out of I mean, because weekends like that, we thank the horses and the centers massively for letting sometimes some very new trainers have a go. But you know, to see the difference, like at Hazel's this time, little Claire who's got the donkeys and she came back in second year, the difference in that girl, how she's applied what she learned last year and how better she was this year, unbelievable. But we do need these places. But, yeah, is it is the question generally is, if you're shit at it, yeah, should you be doing it?
1: I think some of that depends on the learner, on the horse. So I've got, of my five horses, a couple are more resilient than others. So I think a lot of it depends on the horse. Um I know everyone says, oh, well, at the end of the day, they're getting food, so it's not as bad as being smacked. But, okay, you can crop this, yeah? (laughs) Use your
0: words carefully, Sue.
1: I'm not saying I'm going to think it's okay to go around smacking horses. Absolutely not. I'm not saying that at all. But sometimes there's clarity there. The horse understands. Is that going to cause less frustration and um, less don't know what the word is you know like yeah no no yeah and the horse going I really want that food I really want that food I really want that food what do I have to do and then getting really 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 frustrated and then becoming a danger as well to the learner so I'm not but I think if there was more education out there for people on this type, type of stuff it's lovely looking on social media isn't it seeing people doing amazing things like like with no bit and bridle and chucking food in their mouth and how lovely is that but there's none there's not enough of this well this is how we started this is what happens at the very boring and it's boring I find this stuff boring to train Trudy is laughing you can't see her but she is it's really dull it's like teaching a dog loose-lead walking it's really boring but if you get those real she's laughing now if you get these really boring bits done, and there's more education about how to do the really boring bits, then it makes life easier for everybody, doesn't it?
0: But is it ethical?
1: Is it ethical? Mm. It depends. Yeah. It depends. <laughs> it depends. It's all. I'm wimping out. I'm wimping out, saying it depends. It wouldn't yeah. be ethical for me if we're looking at my horses for a novice trainer to train Harry no i would rather they put a rope hold on him yeah
0: no i agree um i mean just to say my, my lovely becky um who anyone who listens to uh, her podcast with kate will know well and they her uh, patron you can see all the training i do with her so you know none of this is secret and she's r- really sweet about sharing stuff but sometimes you just have to take a step backwards, and I saw her leading her horse out to the field with no food, and it was beautiful. I said, "Why? Why aren't we doing that? <laughs> you know, why? Why is that not happening every time when we're training with food?" And so we've taken, yeah, a bit of a back step with food, not not taking food away, but just doing it slightly differently because of that information that I could see. He, you know, why would you want to be frustrated if a horse will do things? you can back chain, forward chain from, you know, reinforcer at the end of it all. But yeah, I think there are more ways to do it. And to be fair, if you're really bad at it and the frustration is building, it you're only going to get bitten or kicked and that's dreadful. But Susan and I, we're, we're definitely going to be working on that, some sort of um, training program for trainers for the future. So if you've got any thoughts on that, do give us a shout because we'll be starting to put something together in that type of programme for the future. Uh, So I think we'll leave it there. We've had a lovely time this summer. I'm back to the Conquest, not the Conquest Centre, I am going back to Conquest Centre to do some staff training, which is awesome. I'm really glad that they've asked me. Uh, I am going back to Norfolk in September. We are at Understand Horses Live, aren't we, on the 2nd or 3rd of September, which we're really, really looking forward to. I'm talking about errorless learning uh, on the Saturday, no surprise there. And Suze is going to help me with some demos for uh, mounting. If you've got mounting block problems, you need to come along and we're gonna talk about some really clear ways to train that. Uh, and we're gonna talk about how you start with food. I mean, what we do at most of our uh, workshops, we're gonna you know, do that in a 40, somehow in a 45 minute session. So if you wanna hear Suze and I talking very fast, that's definitely one for you and Susie's going to do some, uh, portal type stuff, tabletop
1: yeah. training, I'm doing the Are human you... side of the training, you know, like the human part yeah. of the training.
0: Yeah, which is essential, absolutely essential, so come and join us, that's at Rittle in ethics, you can still at the moment, I think, get cheap, fairly cheap accommodation at the university itself, uh, so do come and join us for that one, and I will be back, um, doing one on my own, because then I'm doing some charity training afterwards, um, so I will be at, Hazel's doing a single day where we're going to look beyond clicker training in terms of how you train husbandry behaviors and things like loathing and that with counter conditioning etc so thanks for joining me Suze as always it's good to have a natter and we could do it for hours I've gone on way longer than I planned to sorry um and join us again me 30 minutes yeah I know sorry that's an hour I think oops
1: Oh, well, it was fun. Always is.
0: See you all again soon. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as Susan and I enjoyed recording it. We always have a laugh when we're together, but that's in person or online. Don't forget, you can catch up with Suze on social media. I'll put all her links into the show notes. She has um, a lovely new uh, dog training website with her partner, uh, Zara, and that's Tarka Dogs. And, of course, you can get in person or online training, dogs, cats, horses, uh, with Suze. And just to mention, again, Coffee ko-fi.com forward slash lead a horse to water or one word if you want to join Trudy's training it's 10 pounds a month and for that I'm likely to be posting pretty much daily just random thoughts and maybe voiceover videos of some of my students work some of my past work and some of my current dog training actual live training you know when I'm out walking them or maybe at home and things like rally that i'm going to be doing with cars so if you want to join me sign up at coffee i really really appreciate anyone that's supporting the podcast so come and join us in the community there hope we'll have you listening to another episode very soon all the best